0: Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Sean Friedland. Sean, of course, is Director of Product Marketing at SAI Global a good friend and great member of the compliance community. And he has added to this discussion in the compliance community with a recent piece he posted on LinkedIn entitled Rise and Shine, The Morning Show's Wake Up Call to Corporate America. So first of all, Sean, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today.
0: Thank you, Tom, for having me. It's always nice to catch up and chat.
1: So, Sean, it's always great when people use current events and social culture to talk about compliance and ethics in corporate America. And so that really led me to ask you, why did you write this piece?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I've always been deeply interested in TV and movies. And ever since I started working in the ethics and compliance field around five years ago, I've grown more interested and personally invested in that ENC ecosystem around the profession. And I've been looking more and more for that overlap between my kind of personal and professional interests, right? And as you're well aware, right, as a big movie fan yourself, right and wrong and doing the right thing are often central themes in a lot of the most popular and successful stories and movies and artifacts of pop culture that we love. So as I began to pay more attention to that and really look for it, I noticed a greater overlap between the common risks and themes that are in an ethics and compliance program, and the movies and shows I'd watch in my spare time. And that being said, those connections aren't always very direct outside of a few specific examples, like the fact that Billions, which is a show on Showtime, actually has a chief compliance officer character. You don't really get many clear examples of compliance bleeding into pop culture. I think that's changing, but historically, it's few and far between. So that leads us to The Morning Show, right, which is the flagship program that Apple decided to use to launch their new streaming service, Apple Plus. And what they're essentially saying is that you should subscribe to our service to watch the show. It has Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, Reese Witherspoon, Billy Crudup, Mark Duplass, great writers, great directors, and it's going to be an hour-long drama that you can watch every week, and it's going to take place, as you might expect, on the set of a morning TV show. Now, there wasn't a ton of information available beyond that prior to it coming out. So I'm thinking, cool, you know, this is going to be a funny workplace comedy that my wife and I can watch on a Friday night, have a few laughs to start our weekend. And it was not that at all. It was a very serious, dramatic look at basically every issue that ethics and compliance teams build training around or write about in their code of conduct sexual harassment, misconduct, respect, speaking up and reporting, tone from the top in the middle, retaliation, trust in the workplace social media, diversity and inclusion, right? So it really has this gamut of topics that are relevant to people in our profession. So when I'm watching it, honestly, I'm thinking about work, which isn't really what you want to do on a Friday night, but nevertheless, that's kind of what happened. And I'm thinking about all these problems that SCI Global's customers may be dealing with, the industry as a whole is dealing with, you know, at any conference people are talking about in their speaking sessions. And I'm thinking about the fact that a lot of people just may not have seen the show or given it a chance because they don't subscribe to Apple Plus yet. And I honestly felt like it was a huge missed opportunity. From a business perspective, I was a business major. I'm always kind of thinking about that stuff. I was really fascinated by the risk Apple took here to make this kind of show, the lead show of their streaming service. They're going up against Amazon and Netflix, Hulu, and they're trying to make a splash. And all the people that were involved in making this show chose to take a chance on something that they felt was really important, even if it might mean fewer viewers, right? They could have taken the easy road and made something more universally fun with a stronger appeal. And that really reminds me of something Robert De Niro said at an awards show. I believe it was the SAG Awards a week or two ago. And I'll quote him directly because, frankly, I can't say it better than him. So here we go. There's right and there's wrong and there's common sense and there's abuse of power And as a citizen, I have as much right as anybody, an actor, an athlete, a musician or anybody else to voice my opinion. If I have a bigger voice because of my situation, I'm going to use it whenever I see a blatant abuse of power. And that's all I'm going to say about that tonight. Apple has a huge voice. They've invested hundreds of millions of dollars in this platform and they looked around the world and they saw a blatant abuse of power and they felt an obligation to voice their opinion on that situation. And all other politics about Apple aside, that's a pretty commendable thing to do. And it compelled me to write about it.
1: So could you give, and I guess we should say spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the show and some specific episodes, but could you give the general story arc of the uh, morning show?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to try not to spoil anything too central or anything that really happens in the back half directly. So anything I say won't really affect the conclusion of the show or the plot or your enjoyment of it as a whole. But Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell are two characters that play the anchors of a fictional popular morning show on a fictional TV network. And the show takes place in and around the environment of the show, the characters and their lives. So in the first episode, we learn that Steve Carell's character, Mitch Kessler, has been accused of sexual misconduct and harassment and is being taken off the show indefinitely. The network essentially learned about this and they said, you can't be on the show anymore because you did this. So the show explores it explores it from every angle. It looks at the impact of that decision on Mitch Kessler's personal and professional life, his legacy, how people perceive him now as a result of this news, while previously he was kind of like America's sweetheart. It looks about how it affects Aniston and the rest of their co-workers who have really worked with this guy for a decade and never really knew this about him, or maybe they did. And ultimately, it looks at how it opens up a coveted co-anchor spot on the show, which Reese Witherspoon ends up filling. So all of that pretty much happens in episode one, and the rest of the show basically looks backwards at how something like this can happen in a workplace, exploring the culture of the show, Carell's relationships, and what he actually did, and forwards at the newly formed kind of hot and cold relationship between Aniston and Witherspoon, the actual internal investigation that takes place into Carell's misconduct, the butterfly effect of that investigation on the culture of the show and the people working there with him and for him, and then the corporate politics that are involved in managing a scandal of that nature in a very micro and macro sense, both from a financial and reputational perspective.
1: I was really intrigued by your breakdown of issues in this show. You talked about both compliance issues and you talked about ethics issues. And I was wondering if you could separate a few of those into specifically that compliance and ethics, and then perhaps we can tie it together after you go through some from each category.
0: Yeah, I could certainly try. I think that in terms of compliance lessons or compliance issues, there are certainly obvious and not so obvious ones, right? I mean, the show's central core plot is about harassment in the workplace, which is certainly a growing concern and risk topic that companies are focused on and that ethics and compliance programs are actively training on. I think that we did a benchmark survey recently, and it was the number one or number two topic that people were focused on the past year. And I think that that's often a result of the news around the topic. And because it raises that profile and conversation, it becomes a more prevalent compliance issue for organizations because it's top of mind for people. But the show really does a great job of conveying how some people just don't know what is or isn't allowed or how they don't know or fully understand the policies or values of a company. And that perhaps a deeper commitment to conveying and communicating those policies and values would be helpful. They never explicitly take training in the show. Obviously, that wouldn't make very good television. But it certainly demonstrates an environment where these people probably aren't trained as often or as well as they could or should be. And it's also a very fast-paced live television ecosystem where you're really put in a position to make choices about what might be right or wrong in the moment, which is often really hard to do. But I think the not so obvious lesson from a compliance perspective about the show is really the role that relationships and personal connections play in growing a culture where people do or don't follow the rules or do or don't follow do the right thing. Right. There's obviously rules and there's doing the right thing and there's overlap there, but they're not the same. So the show does a really good job at kind of making you like the people like Mitch Kessler. Carell's character is very kind of deeply likable at the heart of who he is, even though you know that he's really a bad guy that you know has slept with women for over a decade on and on and on in this kind of recurring predatory pattern. So if you feel like your manager or your boss is your friend, or you really like the person that you work with, but then they do something wrong, it might make it harder to do the right thing because your judgment might be clouded by that relationship. And I think that's really like a big compliance lesson that I took away from the show. The show directly speaks to A lot of the compliance lessons that people are focused on in their company today. But more indirectly, it's this like kind of relationship analysis of how those things could be affected as a result. So if those relationships exist, and that person is a positive influence and an ethical leader, their impact on what other people do or don't do or listen to or don't listen to could be magnified and more effective. But if you have people that are at the top or in the middle, and they kind of disregard the rules or the values of the policies that your company has, it's going to affect everyone else. And those people are going to look at that leader, their friend that they have the strong relationship with as a role model. So I think the real big lesson, aside from the way that the show explores some of the topics and themes that everyone is kind of grappling with in a very direct way, is that relationships are an essential part of a compliant organization or a culture where people do the right thing. And I think that that gets often overlooked. People, depends on the maturity of your program, depends on kind of the sophistication of your compliance program, the leadership you have in place. But I think that there is a certain expectation that if we do X, Y, and Z, or if we invest in X, Y, and Z, we'll achieve our goals or be more effective or kind of do what we need to do to build an ethical culture. But really relationships and the way that the people in charge or the people that people are friends with take that seriously has a huge impact on the effectiveness.
1: Sean, you had a line in here I wanted to read because it made me think about several different things. And I'll just read the line, which says, quote, successful and powerful men can manage to survive and even thrive on their charm and influence despite the unethical and immoral choices they make. The first thing that struck me about that line was, you didn't say senior management. You said successful and powerful men. So that communicated to me You can have such a successful and powerful man in an organization, and he may not be the CEO, he may not be the CFO, he may not be in an executive leadership position. The second thing about that was, and you touched on that in terms of your relationships, is do people with power who are successful, is their power sort of magnified or their actions are not only scrutinized by others, but the implications and ramifications of their actions can be far beyond the initial action. And this television show certainly seemed to say that. But I was wondering if I could, having read that line, ask you what you meant by writing that.
0: Yeah, I could certainly try. Maybe the first time in my life I've been asked to explain something I've written in that kind of specific of a way. But I think it boils down to this, Tom. And I think the show does a great job at kind of capturing this idea. But I think it's something that we all know and see around us. And it's kind of, at the heart of the global economy in some regard. and Maybe I'm being very kind of grandiose there, but the core purpose of a business is to make money at the end of the day, right? Nobody will argue that. And whether you do that ethically or unethically, every business needs to make money and satisfy the expectations of an investor or a shareholder or a board, whether you're private or public, there's always someone that you're obligated to make the right decisions for in regards to the bottom line. And I think some people might feel that it's more beneficial and financially responsible to keep successful and powerful men employed or, you know, successful and powerful women because the revenue they generate for a company or their ability to move the bottom line is a higher priority than whatever bad things they've done or are doing, right? I think that the perceived good outweighs the bad in the minds of some. That's certainly not applicable to everyone. I think that the expectation that that's okay is changing. The world is changing, but it doesn't change the fact that for decades, that happened a lot, right? And I think there's a reason companies do all of this training and our whole industry exists, right? It's because there were scandals in the late 90s and early 2000s where that was kind of central to the success of these companies. Powerful people made a choice to do bad things and some of them got caught and faced the consequences. But they only got caught because they were so successful. If you're breaking the rules, but you're a fledgling kind of middle of the road or unsuccessful company, nobody's going to pay attention. You're just flying under the radar and you're probably not doing a very good job at breaking the rules. But at a certain point, from a risk and strategy perspective, there's a fundamental ethical and moral question of whether or not it's worth it to do the wrong thing if it will help be more successful. And there's no guarantee that you'll get caught. But I guess that's enough about the Houston Astros.
1: Well, that's a great segue because that was going to be my introduction to the next question I wanted to raise to you as I've been writing and thinking and talking a lot about the Astros and their sign-stealing scandal. And one of the things that I think is a big lesson learned and is continuing discussion is around the whistleblower in this case. It was a former Astros player, Mike Fierce, who blew the whistle via a magazine article that he was the primary source for, disclosed source, and what the conversation has been about him by current and former players, what are the potential ramifications for him for this whistleblowing, will he be ostracized? Will he he doesn't bat because in the American League and he's a pitcher, they won't yeah. throw at his head. Right? Uh, will he ever pitch again? So, thank you for that introduction because it really this your article in this series struck me that it does talk about the consequences of blowing a whistle, and perhaps will make those in corporate America more sensitive to this. So kind of what were your lessons that you gained or garnered around those issues?
0: Yeah, I think that this might be what the show does the best, right? I think that if you were to watch the show as an ethics and compliance professional, you would learn a lot. You would kind of get some fresh perspective. You might think of ways to improve the way you train or build your program. You might be more sensitive to some of the topics and kind of risks that are being risen by the show and you'll enjoy it right the acting is great the writing is great it's a very compelling television program regardless of whether you're an ethics and compliance professional or not but i think what the show does best is explore what happens after you blow the whistle and speak up because at the core of like all of this what we do right it's if you see something you should say something if something is wrong we want you to speak up so that we can prevent this misconduct from happening or stop it and make sure it doesn't happen again And I feel like there's a kind of call and response with whistleblowing and its retaliation, right? You can blow the whistle because we will not retaliate against you. And I feel like that is the default topic. And it's what you brought up too, right? Is Mike Fires the whistleblower in the Astros case, going to be retaliated against for the rest of his career as a professional baseball player? And we don't know. And I'll be very curious to find out. And there are certainly plenty of instances of whistleblowers being retaliated against and it'll continue to happen unfortunately but there's actually something the show does and it's i'm not going to say exactly what happens to the character who blows the whistle because i don't want to spoil a really big thing that happens in like you know episode 8 and 9 and 10 of the show again i really encourage people to watch it because it's great television if you were to run a compliance program and you were doing sexual harassment training and you wanted to say optional exercise, watch the morning show over the weekend or over the next few months and think about how that makes you feel about harassment and misconduct, that wouldn't be crazy to do, really. So to me, the most eye-opening lesson from the morning show was the emotional impact and weight on the actual person reporting the misconduct. For the woman who makes the report and opens the investigation, she's basically faced with a choice. And it's the same choice that I suppose any whistleblower experiences. And depending on the scope or kind of damage of what happened, there's degrees to which that's a difficult choice. I could stay quiet and compartmentalize this trauma and grief and pain and move on with my life, quietly knowing that this happened, or I could speak up and try to prevent him in this instance from doing it again, or this misconduct or kind of violation from happening again. But if I do speak up, With every step of the process and every step of the investigation, every interview I have to conduct, every inquiry into what happened internally, externally, on social media, for my friends and family, I'm going to be forced to relive this moment over and over and over again in extreme detail. And I never really thought about that before. And the difficulty of making that choice, knowing that it won't necessarily make things easier, even if it fixes what was actually wrong is really interesting to me. And it was a really kind of nuanced perspective that I hadn't considered. Sometimes it's easy to think about speaking up or blowing the whistle or reporting misconduct as this very transactional exercise, right? See something, say something. But saying something isn't the end of that process, right? It's just the beginning. And that doesn't just apply to harassment, but really any kind of reporting that someone might be encouraged to do. So I think that If you have a compliance program, if you have a whistleblowing hotline, if you're an HR, if you're a manager that's encouraging your team to speak up to you if they see misconduct, you really need to have this certain level of emotional intelligence and thoughtfulness when you make that request. And I think the show opened my eyes to that. And it might not exist a lot today, right? It's very much see something, say something. We want to make sure that you feel confident that you won't be retaliated against if you speak up. But I wouldn't be so concerned about the retaliation, right? I would be more concerned about how that person feels, knowing that what they said, and what they blew the whistle on the misconduct they reported, is ultimately going to be the catalyst for all of this change, all of this drama, people losing their jobs, company losing money, headlines and stories. And deep down, like they know all of that started because of them. And that's, I had never thought about that before. The show does a great job at kind of making you realize the weight and kind of stress and challenge of what happens after you speak up. And I thought that was really like super interesting and eye opening.
1: Absolutely agree. Sean, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if anybody wanted to follow up with you. Could they, first of all, and if they could, how could they do so?
0: Yeah, sure. So I mean, if you're interested in reading the article that kind of catalyzed this conversation, it's on my LinkedIn profile. My name is Sean Friedland. I think Tom is going to share it in the show notes. So you could certainly find me pretty easily. And I encourage you to kind of connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to kind of talk about anyone who watches the show on LinkedIn or otherwise. My email is sean.friedland at saiglobal.com. And you could also visit saiglobal.com slash risk. And the article is published on our website, too. You know, we obviously sell a lot of training and content around sexual harassment and other risk topics, which you may or may not be interested in using in your program. But more than anything, I encourage you to kind of find me on LinkedIn, read the article, watch the show. I really think that if the show was on Netflix, something that people had already subscribed to or had as part of their kind of routine many more people would see it. Many more people would be talking about it. It's a lot to subscribe to a new service. It's another 10 bucks a month. Get the free trial. Cancel after you're done. The show is awesome. Aniston is winning awards. The show's getting nominated for Emmys, everything. So like, it's really, really... It's 10 hours of your time. That's a lot of time. People are busy. You don't have to binge it, break it up, watch it, connect with me. Let's talk about it. And really, let's see what happens in season two, right? Because clearly... Apple has made a decision with The Morning Show to use it as a platform to really explore the most kind of prevalent topics that are impacting our society and and relationships. And, you know, maybe season two will be something with data privacy. Who knows? But it's really interesting what they're doing here. And I think it's worth the attention that I hope to bring to it.
1: And I would just add that Sean is one of Compliance's top experts on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. (laughs) I'm sure he would be more than happy to discuss that topic with you. We've had him as a guest on Popcorn and Compliance. We've talked about some of the Marvel movies, so he's a great resource there. Sean, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me today.
0: I really appreciate it, Tom. I enjoyed this. Thanks for having me, and thank you for listening If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.